Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest is speech pathologist and owner-operator of voice therapy, Georgia McGarry. We chat about the difference between the voice and speech, why our voices are so important, and how Georgia's interest and study of performance art informs what she does now. If we think specifically about voice, you know, we hope that our voice is represents us, that it's authentic to us. If you have a problem with your voice, and whether that be neurologically driven as in completely out of your control, or because you've been screaming nonstop for, <laughs> for a while, reduces your ability to participate and connect. It's not, oh, you're a professional voice user, you're an actor, or you're a singer, or you're a news presenter, or you're a politician, or you're a teacher everybody's voice is just as valuable as the next person's and that is incredibly important because it has a significant, can have a significant impact. I mentioned earlier that speech pathologist Georgia is the owner-operator of Clinic Voice Therapy. Before we dive into how she got to where she is, she explains what voice therapy does. I run my own private practice working alongside an ear, nose and throat surgeon where we run a clinic for people with voice disorders, but also for people with with swallowing disorders and for people who have any kind of disorder of the voice box. So you can actually get breathing disorders in the voice box and you can get chronic coughing. So we speech pathologists also treat that. There's a team of us working together. I've got two speech pathologists working alongside me who have various different backgrounds and we run a multidisciplinary team clinic where we diagnose and then go on to treat typically voice problems, but also swallow and voice box breathing problems. How long have you been a speech pathologist? I qualified in 2006. So I did my master's in speech pathology. So that's 15 years on I've been a speech pathologist for. What exactly does a speech pathologist do? Look, there's a problem with the title that we have because most people, when I say I'm a speech pathologist, if they have children, they will start to ask me a question about whether or not their child needs to see a speech pathologist for a problem with their speech. But Mm. essentially, we work with people who have communication difficulties. So whether that be voice, speech, or language cognition. So potentially, if someone's had a stroke, and they've got difficulty processing language, or speaking. We also work with people with swallowing disorders and it's relatively new. Certainly when I I was at uni, I didn't study chronic cough or upper airway disorders, so disorders of the voice box, but that probably over the last 10 years or so has really grown. We have a really good understanding of that and we treat that regularly now as well. So I think that's probably one of the most surprising components that speech pathologists work with people who have a chronic cough. And when you say work with people, is it like a tangible thing? Like are you touching 
I mean, this is probably a misconception, but when I think of a speech pathologist, I do think of a person sort of helping someone move their mouth. I don't know. It's really, yes. it's really, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's very, I guess, foreign. I can't really yes. picture what you would do with a patient. I mean, generally we are assessing people's difficulty, whether it be, let's, for example, say they have a difficulty with their voice, they have a bump on their vocal cord and they may be going to surgery or they may not. And speech pathologists would do voice exercises to try and treat and reduce the bump on the vocal cord. That's on one end. So one end is actually doing exercises with them. So you guide someone through the exercises using the notion of the principles of motor learning. So you're trying to get someone to relearn how to use their voice box in an efficient manner. On the other side of that, all the voice exercises in the world aren't going to help if you then can't transfer that into the spoken or singing voice for that matter. So you need to then be able to, during conversation or connected speech, be able to then adapt your voice using strategies in order to keep it working for you as best as it can. You've mentioned that voice and speech, are they different things? They are different things. So voice is the sound that is produced within your voice box. So put simply, in order to produce voice, you need three things. You need a power source, which is your breath. You need a sound source, which are your vocal cords, of which there are two. Vocal cords, vocal folds, same thing. We just tend to use two different words in speech pathology. Create a sound by vibrating the vocal cords, and then that sound then travels through your throat, through your mouth, where you move your tongue, teeth, and lips to shape the sound to speak for example, English. So it's the moving of the tongue, teeth and lips that is the speech component, the creation of sound within the voice box, which is the voice component. I mean, I'm often seeing people with voice disorders, but it's a point that often has to be clarified. When I'm saying to you about your voice, I'm not meaning about how you're articulating your words. I'm meaning about how you're producing sound within your body. Now we have a little more of an understanding of what speech pathologists do and Georgia's focus. I asked Georgia if she always wanted to be a speech pathologist. Did I always want to be a speech pathologist? No, I didn't even know about speech pathologists. It really was a chance meeting with a speech pathologist at a acting voice course I was doing. The voice coach was a qualified speech pathologist who'd then gone on to work and qualify or as a as a vocal coach and it had never even crossed my mind and it was like it genuinely was like a a light bulb moment of ah that would be a perfect marrying of the art side of the voice and the science side of the voice and that is that is how I happened upon it never had crossed my mind previously so you were in an acting course I was in a yeah I was doing a eight week of an evening voice acting course yes So when you were baby Georgia, did she want to be in the performing arts? (laughs) When I was baby Georgia, I used to, yes, I very much thought I wanted to be an actor. You know, I did drama classes on a Saturday morning in St Kilda from the age of about nine. I was very interested in the performing arts and I went on to do a Bachelor of Arts in theatre after school. There was something not quite sitting though, as in I, I knew I was interested in the area, but... It wasn't quite what I wanted to do, even though all through my teens and what have you, I'd thought that was the avenue. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to go overseas and do all that fun stuff after uni that's not really available to people at present and 
came back to Melbourne and thought, oh, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do work-wise. Maybe I'll dabble back in some acting classes. And that's where that chance meeting of a voice class, I found the option of speech pathology. And I really should ring up that person and say, (laughs) I don't think you realise that fleeting meeting had a significant impact on my career choice. And it genuinely was like, I come from a relatively concrete mindset at times and then that didn't that was a little bit jarring with the whole artistic side that was very much a part of me and it just married the two beautifully and I you know going into speech pathology the intention was I want to do speech pathology I want to work for you know in a hospital for a period of time and then the long-term aim was to open a private practice working alongside an ear nose and throat doctor in a voice swallow and upper airway clinic that's where I am at, at the moment. You've done it. <laughs> I've done it. And it was always always the intention, but it just, you just meet people. And, you know, my first job that I had, the ENT I first worked with, she is the person that I work alongside with in private practice who happened to want to specialise in the voice because when you train as an ear, nose and throat doctor, you can either then go on to specialise just in the ears or specialise in the nose or specialise in cancer. She wanted to specialise, unbeknownst to me, in voice and then this far along we reconnected and we've been working together in private practice for six years now. It's very serendipitous. This all sounds very serendipitous. It is. (laughs) That's amazing. We've chatted a fair bit about how Georgia found speech pathology while focused on performing. It seems like they're fairly removed concepts. Speech pathology seems to involve a lot more science. I wondered whether Georgia had dabbled in science as well before finding speech pathology. Absolutely, I did. But I didn't have something that was, you know, that was a career in science that I was drawn to, yet I had this interest in in health and in science, I suppose. And I think that's potentially why, you know, I really enjoyed and very much everything I learnt when I did acting which feels a lifetime ago, by the way, <laughs> um, very much hones your skills, your, you know, your observation skills. And I think that is one of the key skills as a speech pathologist that you need is to be able to observe the client or the patient in front of you to work out, well, what is going on? Is this a problem of they're straining their muscles too much with their voice and that's why it's not working? Is this a problem? Is it a neurological problem? Have they got something like Parkinson's disease? which obviously is diagnosed by a neurologist, but there are markers for this type of voice is consistent with a Parkinson's disease type presentations. I really enjoy the complexity of working with this client group because no two voices are the same, no two stories are the same, and the most important pieces of the information are what they are saying to you, not just what when the ENT, the ear, nose and throat doctor, pops the camera down there nose or down their mouth and sees is there a bump or a lump or a shakiness or a, even a cancer. It's sure. marrying the whole picture. That moment when you thought, okay, yeah, speech pathology, I never thought of that. That's something that I could be really passionate about. What is it about speech and voice that you think you're particularly interested in? It's just a fascinating field in that it is extraordinary that we can communicate, <laughs> that we have evolved to the point that we can use this tiny mechanism or apparatus within our throat to produce voice. You've got two small folds 
with muscle in them that vibrate together to produce sound, which you then use to shape, to communicate. You know, we all want to connect. It's it's a human, it's the human condition. But the fact that we can and the complexity is actually extraordinary. If you look at how the brain works, how we are physically able to speak and communicate is extraordinarily complex. And I think it's something we just take for granted until often I'm seeing someone who has a problem with the voice or has a problem with swallow or has a problem with cough. And it's not something they've ever considered unless it's been then taken away from them. And it is extraordinarily complex. I mean, I'm sold. (laughs) I'm in. I think it's so fascinating. How did it go from this fascination and honing her craft to Georgia actually owning her own clinic? When you asked me that, the intention was always there, that I would run my own private practice specialising in voice. So how did I get there? I suppose I must have done something to get <laughs> to get there. But I, I very much had the intention that I want to get global experience working with adult communication impairments with the end goal to not, you know, to actually work for myself and have a concentration of patients or clients who are voice clients or patients. Because I think we get good at what we, well, we theoretically should get good at what we practice. You want to be seeing a speech pathologist who doesn't see every single thing under the sun because you can only know a certain amount about a certain number of things. So my area of interest is particularly the voice. So I know a great deal more about the voice than I will ever know about what I learned at uni about child language development. I wonder with voice therapy, had you owned a business before? Is the business side of things tricky or did you just kind of wait for it is? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So there was a period where I worked in a public hospital and I worked through the rooms of a speech pathologist with my own. So I was my own speech pathologist with an ABN, but I was a contractor where I would rent rooms and see voice clients there. So I did that as I, you know, to, to, as a bridge to, okay, I need to have a secure job, but I also then need to build a private practice. Somewhere in between that, though, my husband and I, well, my then partner, we got married, we went, went overseas, we lived in Canada, and I actually worked in a swallow lab in research in Canada. And the intention was when I came back, then I would open up my own practice with my own rooms versus just sort of a sitting within another practice Mm -hmm. and the ear nose and throat doctor that I have ended up working with we kind of had vaguely spoken about that because she also went overseas for extra training at the same time and we spoke about okay we'll we'll come back and we'll set up this practice together so there was that uh, tentativeness of I'll keep my secure job in the hospital where I know what I'm doing whilst I start to open up that world of opening my own practice. And, you know, and I think a problem is health professionals. I don't, I can't speak for all health professionals, but I think we're, we're not, I am not business savvy. And that is something I've had to upskill on and find not particularly interesting <laughs> in terms of, you know, the business side of things, but I'm, I'm learning about that and it's vitally important. 
you know, I'm six years into this, prior to going to overseas and working in the Swallow Lab, I had a couple of years experience part-time in private. So it's been a long learning curve. Why is what you do important? Why is speech pathology and voice work important? Because communication is important. The ability to swallow is important. The ability to, you know, if someone loses their voice, a lot of people would not be able to do their job if they did not have a voice. And there's, you know, all sorts of studies that look at the impact of a voice problem or a communication impairment or a swallow problem and the impact that has on your quality of life is enormous. And I I really, it's almost a little bit hidden in that you don't have, you know, a physical disability where maybe you're missing a an arm or you're missing a leg is more obvious to the person on the street. Whereas a voice problem, for example, or a communication impairment, so an inability to speak because you've had a stroke and the connections are not working properly anymore. There are certain judgments cast on people around that and I think that people tend to then withdraw and it changes who they are. Why is what you do important to you personally, to Georgia personally? That's a tricky question because you think, oh, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in health, I'm in the helping profession, but I'm obviously getting something back from that because <laughs> it's not all altruistic at all, is it? We all do things because we enjoy them. There's obviously an element of really enjoying being able to work with people to improve their voice and facilitate that discovery as well. So people most of the time have never considered how do I produce voice? Where do I feel voice within my body? Where is the muscular effort to produce sound? These are things that often haven't been so much as thought about other than the fact that my voice isn't working properly. It's just interesting. The complexity of it is is interesting. There are, And I think I said before, there are no two people who turn up in front of you with the same voice. Everybody has a unique voice. They may have the same type of voice disorder, but no one presents exactly the same. And despite common themes, everybody brings to it a a different perspective based on their life experiences. And that is a really interesting place to sit in front of somebody and facilitate change in their voice or not, there are some conditions that cannot really be changed. And being a witness to that and trying to help with little things, you know, you often don't know how much you know about something until someone says, oh, I've never even thought about that. Oh, I've never even considered that maybe if I stop holding my breath (laughs) when I'm talking, it might actually help my voice. Or if I stop, you know, simple things that people haven't even considered that you can give that, them that information to empower them to then go on and look after their voice or or not. <laughs> that's also within their, that's their choice. Some people are not bothered and that's the thing that's really interesting as well. Some people are really bothered by their voice. Other people are, I just want to know it's not a cancer. It's not, I don't mind if I sound, if I lose my voice every other day. It's mm-hmm. all about where is the person jumping off from and where can you meet them in that. There is never a dull moment, truly. I There is when, you know, you're doing paperwork in the business side of things, but when you are just sitting there in front of somebody, it is fascinating to see their 
their view on their own voice and their discovery of what their body is doing to create it. It's clear that what Georgia does is incredibly important, not only to her, but also to her clients. Here, Georgia reflects on some of the best parts of what she does. You work as part of a team, so it's not just you have a speech pathologist, they know everything and they'll sort the problem out. No, it's about discussion. It's about, oh, this patient, this client or patient sounds like this patient, but I haven't seen this before and that doesn't sit with how their voice is presenting today and, oh, I need to see them again and, you know, we work with, we'll often have referrals from respiratory doctors because someone's got a breathing difficulty that then impacts their ability to power the voice. You know, it's that collaborative approach that I don't feel like I work alone with a client. I feel like you know, the power of discussion about a client with your colleagues who are also involved in their care can only help inform because you can't know everything. And I sometimes think the more I know, you know, that thing of the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. And I can imagine that being able to have that, it being in an environment where you can have those discussions really does help because someone might say something that sparks another thing that you know, and then that sparks something that they know, and then that brings you closer to being able to help. Yes. Yeah. You need to surround yourself with people who are interested and open because it just makes it such a richer experience. But at the same time, in terms of patient care, you know, you're not sending them off for 20 sessions and they've had no changes. We know we're always trying to unpack, well, what's going on? If there's something's not working, we need to unpack why it's not working. Have we missed something within the diagnosis or their presentation? So we can try and make this as efficient and impactful for them in a timely manner. Is there a particular moment or moments in your career thus far that have really validated what you do? I distinctly remember a client coming in who's, who said they had on and off seen various people for their voice problem that had been going on for near on a decade and it, it had constantly been attributed to stress and overuse of the muscles. And from the moment my colleague and I spoke with her, she was a textbook dystonic, which is a type of neurological problem client so her voice she actually there was a medical something that could help medically in the form of botox in fact so injecting the voice box to paralyze muscles so that they stop working in an abnormal way and no amount of speech pathology intervention or voice treatment could help with a problem that is driven by the brain that is completely out of her control so there was a moment of seeing the relief on the client's face of, oh, not that not a sense of, oh, you haven't been believed in the past because these things evolve. You know, voice disorders often evolve. It's not black and white. Things need to sometimes, you know, get quite severe to declare themselves. But just that moment of feeling heard and my impression that she felt that she was heard and we had a different solution, which was clinically appropriate, I've never forgotten it because it was life-changing for her to not be told this is just anxiety. And anxiety, and I'm not, you know, anxiety absolutely can be a significant contributor. It can even be a cause for a voice problem. But when it's not, I'm going to be anxious if I have a voice disorder that's completely out of my control and everyone tells me that there's nothing I can do about it. 
But actually there is. You can go and have medical treatment in the form of paralyzing muscles to then make the other muscles work. That's amazing. Because we do see people as well with chronic cough. So so a cough that just will not stop and it's a upregulation, a dysregulation of how the nerve signals are going to the brain that then make you cough in response to things that you shouldn't cough in response to. Right, so you smell a bit of perfume and you have an absolute coughing fit to the point that you feel like you're choking. So this is a chronic cough. This is not something, I have a cough, it takes a little while to go away. You know, we've seen people who have had a cough for 50 years. You know, it is quite debilitating. And in COVID, it has been particularly problematic as people come in going, no, you know, I'm frightened to go out because people think I have COVID because I'm coughing, but I've been coughing for 20 years and I am not infective. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a voice, cough, swallow. They're familiar stories to us in our clinics to hear people talking about how difficult it is and it's a common story and I feel like there's a, an element of isolation that comes with having any of those problems and I hope the clients feel heard and that they know that their story is to us familiar in that they're not alone and we have good evidence to treat various disorders of the voice box and it feels like hope hope yes you've got to have hope <laughs> yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. what georgia and her team allow people to do is have hope and they do their very best to gain deeper understanding about each individual voice. It's clear from our chat that Georgia is incredibly passionate about what she does. I wondered if she'll be a speech pathologist for the rest of her life. I know I will categorically be working with the voice for the rest of, and who knows anything actually, (laughs) but my expectation, you know, my expectation is that I will be working with the voice, but also in non-disordered voice as well. And I'm very interested in in research and constantly trying to work out what the ultimate avenue I want to look into in terms of research that will hopefully improve the outcomes for voice therapy. I think voice work outside of a disordered voice, voice work is for everybody. And I I just think there's power in getting to know your own voice and reflecting on whether or not it is representative of you and you are the judge of whether or not your voice is authentic. Isn't it refreshing though when you do hear someone talking about an experience and they're just being truthful and open and honest and you just hear that in their voice? There is nothing more incredible than being witness to that, I think. Before I let her go, I asked Georgia if because she has so much experience with the voice and has studied it, whether it's hard for her not to analyse everyone's voice around her in her life. When I was starting out, I certainly would be trying to unpack why does that voice sound different so that there would be no involvement in listening to the content of what the person was saying because I'd be trying to unpack well, why is their voice doing that. Now, probably just through skill acquisition, I can go, oh, that person sounds like they've got a vocal tremor. Okay, and I can just put it in its place. And it's just <laughs> and interesting. To them. <laughs> yeah, and then listen to them. You but do I, kind of do it, but it's much faster now, so it doesn't take up as much time. No. And it's just, again, it's interesting. It's interesting to go, oh, that person's got, I reckon they've had duh, 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 And it's cool. That's just interesting. 
<laughs> That's the theme of, of our whole chat, I think. Just incredibly it interesting. It is. To take the words right out of my own mouth, it has been incredibly interesting chatting to speech pathologist Georgia McGarry. I genuinely learned so much and I'm completely fascinated by what she does. If you want more info about Georgia McGarry and her clinic, Voice Therapy, head to voicetherapy.com.au. Thanks so much to Georgia for being on the show. And as always, thank you for listening. I make this show for you and I would love for more and more people to hear it. So if you love it, please do spread the word. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.